0: According to Article 794 of the Van Diemen's Land Penal Code, we here at simpletonpodcast.com are obliged to draw your attention to certain irregularities.
1: my name is dale e richardson and i've seen things you wouldn't believe my life's work has taken me to all corners of the globe i've had face-to-face experience with ufos aliens creatures of legend and have performed countless exorcisms both with and without vatican approval I am here to tell you such phenomena exist in our time and should be treated with discernment and veracity on behalf of humankind. There is one man whose sole purpose is to investigate the vortex between the natural and supernatural. There is one. It's me, Dale E. Richardson. in Northern Victoria, Australia, found itself in the grip of a serial killer. A serial killer. A serial killer. Between the seventh and 18th of that month, four local residents were brutally murdered by a killer who would be dubbed by media as the Butcher of Barnawatha. Despite a massive police investigation, no chief suspect was ever identified and the case eventually went as cold as a mother-in-law's kiss. To this day, it remains unsolved. The first victim was 85-year-old Hans Barton. As was his Wednesday custom, the retired bodybuilder and ex-male whore had played a full round of golf at the Barnawatha Golf Club with his posse. After having dinner with the group in the clubhouse at Havelock Street Recreation Reserve, he was dropped about 100 metres from his home on Indigo Creek Road. His body, if you could still call it that, was found early the next morning, near his and clubs and long grass on the side of the road. Barton had been attacked before he'd made it 5 metres from the kerb. He had suffered a staggering 462 stab wounds, earning him the dubious title of the world's most stabbed man. A title he would not hold for long. He'd also been completely dismembered while a sizable part of his blood-soaked bright yellow cardigan had been torn off and was nowhere to be seen. What remained of his rectum was stuffed with a roll-up copy of Recon Today magazine. The nearest police station some nine kilometers away in Chilton was properly notified. By midday, a crime scene had been set up by local cops and men from the Wodonga-based Criminal Investigation Branch, CIB for short. Meanwhile, personnel from the Melbourne-based Commonwealth Investigation Branch, CIB for short, were also on their way to Barnawatha via train. Before the day had come to an end, several neighbours, as well as the men who dropped him off near the end of Indigo Creek Road, had been interviewed. And by early evening, the CIB from Melbourne had booked into the Barnawatha Hotel in anticipation of a long stay. But if that wasn't enough already, the town would wake up the next morning to the news that they were now facing what was a Top Shelf Cereculum. According to the official summary of what unfolded in barnet on the morning of 9th August, The body of 67-year-old Bernie McIntyre, a retired lighthouse keeper, was discovered under a tree beside Canning Street by a passing raconteur by the name of Ray Hollywood Hill. The local police were immediately notified and the crime scene was promptly established. Paul O'Connell of the Melbourne-based Commonwealth Police Historical Unit tells us what happened next.
2: Crime scene was set up much before 10 o'clock a.m. Local police and uh, man from C.I.B. present at both place. Man from Melbourne still in bed, very not work hard. They spend most of night before smoke opium and play Scrabble in hotel. Like first victim McIntyre son, who live in Palmerstone Street, had been attacked on his way home and find near Side of a Road. He earlier were, drink local pub with friend at eleven PM McIntyre son say he go home. Nobody object. Maybe everyone think happened murder only one time Barney mcintyre son was stabbed about 80 times he intestine and or were taken out and placed beside him and his feet were put by Kira, so they are point at the west. West door. Look like attack by Okami Otoko. Kawaii I have seen police photograph of dead body and not pretty. Very, very, very not pretty. Kontini
1: If those present at the newest crime scene thought they now had a double murder on their hands, they were sadly wrong. The Rutherglen police station fielded a call at 11.15am from a father in Barnawatha who claimed that his twin teenage daughters had stumbled upon a possible crime in progress during the previous evening. According to the official transcript of the call, the man told the officer that his daughters were on their way home from the annual turnip carnival. At about 9.30pm, as they were crossing the Paul Diddley to Indigo Creek Park toward High Street, they noticed a shadowy figure near some shrubbery 20 meters ahead of them. Assuming it was some pissed fuckstick, they made a slight arc around to the left of the figure as they continued on their way. But as they got closer, they heard a guttural gurgle and realized that a second person was on the ground. To their horror, the hunched over figure then stood up and faced them. The terrified girls turned and ran back into the park, where they hid under a footbridge for two hours. Unsure of whether the figure had given chase or was still in the area, and positive the person had been holding something, the pair eventually made a move, opting for a detour home that would provide suitable cover. Just as the legendary Harren Doll had hidden under a bridge of human skulls during the snorker rebellion of Primesians in 1855.
2: Should one find oneself be hidden neath a bridge fashioned of human skulls and mercilessly pursued by godless savages intent on sodomology, sangfigury, claustromofery, and cannibalarianism, imbibe a gentleman's portion of Peruvian pisco brandy, affix bayonet to one's musket, and aggressively charge oneself until the blighter is dead. Be sure to show no mercy, for one would not show mercy to oneself were the roles reversed. Should this endeavor fail to achieve one's and one's country's desired outcome, proceed post haste to Plan B.
1: The twins, however, made it back without incident and locked all the doors, but opted not to wake their father. Instead, telling him of their terrifying encounter over breakfast of steak, chips, and VB. After considerable discussion, he then rang the Rutherglen police station. Officer Harry Prickstein was well aware that a body had been found in Barnawatha that morning, but was unsure whether the girls were referring to that crime scene or a new one. After the call, he radioed Detective Inspector Eddie Tuckwell, the man initially placed in charge of the overall investigation, and informed him of the phone call. Retired police officer Jack Burton was a young constable who was in the company of Detective Inspector Tuckwell near the Bernie McIntyre crime scene when word came through of the phone call to the Rutherglen Police Station. This was the recollection of the now 53-year-old Burton.
3: Uh. We were all busy at the crime scene when Tuckwell got off the blower in the car. He mustered a few of us together and we buggered off to the park, though he didn't make it clear at first what we might have been after. Uh, g'day, Ron. Uh, we didn't need long to find the body. Uh, day, Don. How's it going? Uh, it was late morning and it seemed like we were the first ones to come across the poor chap. He'd been in the wars, I tell you. He was on his back. Half under a geranium, if my memory serves correctly. The chap had had his throat slit and had been partially disemboweled, but he hadn't been as heavily mutilated as the other gents. So, yet another crime scene had to be set up, and it was up to Tuckwell to organise this, to rearrange the chaps as necessary. It seemed like a. Oh, good day, Daveo. How's Marge? Good, good, good. Uh, it seemed like an eternity before he was able to set everything in motion. But eventually, I was one of several fellows who accompanied him to uh, drop in on the, uh, the young lasses so he could interview them about what they saw.
1: The victim was 81-year-old Thorburn Thompson, the local pisshead who lived as a homeless hermit within the town but was known to all. He was found when the girls had seen him with his killer, whom the twins could only vaguely describe, though they only saw a silhouette. The pair described the figure as tall, charismatic, charming, self-effacing, and vaguely raconteurish. The person wore a top hat and long overgarment that might have been a cape or a trench coat. At no time did they hear him speak. Even with such limited info, it was clear what had happened on the evening of the double murder. The Butcher of Barnabatha had not necessarily planned on striking twice. However, after being sprung in the park with Thorburn Thompson, the killer left for another part of town in search of a new victim. Within two hours, an act of unspeakable evil was inflicted on Bernie McIntyre as he walked home from the pub. The police investigation kicked into overdrive during the rest of the day as various news media began to show up in town. The evening passed by without a major incident. As did the following one but already there were signs that the overall operation had fuck all direction while the men from the melbourne-based commonwealth investigation branch cib for short spent most of their time holed up in the hotel largely preoccupied with opm scrabble and you know several other law enforcement branches including the shire of chiltern bylaws officers scblo for short and the melbourne-based crime investigation unit CIU for short, were involved in the early part of the investigation. According to Jack Burton, the rivalry and competition between the agencies created uncertainty and mistrust amongst most of those involved. Burton picks up the story.
3: Oh, it was chaos. There were men we'd never even seen before from various groups. We were all competing, it was like a dreadful game of two up. There was a lot of one-upmanship and little cooperation between the various fellows. On the twelfth of August, as most of us g'day, Burnsy, let make you out of hospital. Good, good, good. Uh, as most of us from across the agencies were having lunch near the park, some big-shot city chap with one of those uh, newfangled suits and uh, tinted spectacles showed up out of the blue and announced he was taking charge of the whole uh, kitten kit caboodle. He told us to tell him who was in charge, at which point Tuckwell identified himself. All I could think was, go on you beggar. The chap then told us his name, which I can't recall, and his agency. Something like the Elite Investigation Homicide Unit, or EIHE for short I think it was none of us had ever heard of it. So anyway, he told Tuckwell he'd been demoted, just like that. He then told all of us to stop having our lunch forthwith, and even though I'd barely even touched my meat pie, to, uh, G'day Daisy, how's the back? Feeling better? Okay, take it easy. Uh, and to, uh, to get back to the crime scenes and on the beat. This was odd because our crime scenes had already been reopened to the uh, public. For the rest of the day, he was ordering everyone around willy-nilly. The men just blindly obeyed and did whatever he said, even though they had no idea who he was and even though his directives were generally senseless, barely if at all relevant. Hit the road, Jack! Whenever someone said something he didn't like or questioned an order, he'd say, hit the road, Jack. At one point, he had men doing star jumps in the main street like it was army training. Even before the evening, the entire investigation was in total disarray. No one knew what was going on. It was a bloody fiasco. You don't mind my language. Anyway, late in the day, Tuckwell contacted some colleagues in the city who did a background check on this shady character. His agency didn't exist. It turned out he was an escaped psychiatric patient from Melbourne who'd read about the case in a city newspaper. We put the blighter under arrest and uh, held him until personnel from his institution came to pick him up. In the uh, In the meantime, Tuckwell resumed overall control. I know it's odd, but it highlighted how the involvement of the various agencies created a certain decentralised jurisdictional confusion, and it remained a problem throughout most of the investigation.
1: In the week after the double murder, the rumour mill kicked into overdrive. Barnawatha, with only a few hundred people, was a town in which everyone was known. Was the neighbour, someone from down the pub, or even a family member, a serial killer? Or was it as many surely hoped, a black man. The town itself was near other small communities, but was also close to the large regional metropolis of albury wodonga Clark Baxter, a farm man who had recently moved from Western Australia to Barnawatha, took his fair share of initial suspicion from local townsfolk eager to pin the blame on an outsider. But not all conjecture was directed externally. Dr. Proctor Mocklesby, Barnaworth's GP, was also the subject of speculation. As were Bernard Aysnium, the town's butcher, and Ray, Hollywood Hill, the town's raconteur. Like numerous people across the community, all four were interviewed by police in the aftermath of the double murder. However, no one was seriously considered as a suspect. Saturation coverage in local media reports did not help the situation.
0: Lead Story, The Butcher of Barnawatha. Local residents brutally splattered, painfully hacked to bloody pieces, dying, screaming and whimpering as they are mauled by an unstoppable force direct from the bowels of hell. Local council members estimate that at this rate, everyone in the town will be sliced into exterminated oblivion within 72 hours. Jamie McKay reports.
2: Thanks, Chris. Local residents have been brutally splattered painfully hacked to bloody pieces, dying screaming and whimpering as they are mauled by an unstoppable force direct from the bowels of hell. Local council members estimate that at this rate, everyone in the town will be sliced into exterminated oblivion within 72 hours. Back to you, Chris.
0: Thank you, Jamie. Coming up after the break, Aubrey Wadonga Council unveils new plans for a B-Lane friendly pedestrian crossing for our furry little friends.
1: Within a week of the initial murder, the now defunct Metropolitan Express presented a long-since discredited conspiracy theory that implicated Wayne Watson, Deputy Mayor of the Shire of Chilton, as the ringleader of a sinister secret society with its roots in the area's Masonic lodges. While the article fell short of directly accusing him of involvement in the Barnawatha murders, it added further fuel to the flames of speculation and resulted in a torrent of ill-directed criticism towards the Shire of Chilton and Deputy Mayor Watson himself, as well as local Freemasonry. As the initial shock began to wear off, it became clear that the killer was either lying low or had disappeared. Then, on August 16th, with each of the three victims now interred, came what could only be described as a bombshell. Three virtually identical handwritten letters from the killer were received by the Errawonga Times, Chilton Chronicle and Rutherglen Express. Inside of each envelope was also a torn strip of what would later be confirmed as Hans Barton's literally bloody cardigan.
0: This is the B.O.B. speaking.
1: Began the author of the letter, referring to himself in the acronym of the title given him by the media.
0: And I have something to tell you. I am the killer of the old copper on Indigo Creek Road. To prove it, I have enclosed a piece of his bloodstained top. I am also the one who did in the old street bum in the park. I would have gone to town on him but I was caught in the act by those two girls and I decided I should find another victim. If I really wanted, I could have paid the two sweeties a little visit as they hid under the footbridge near Stanley Street but I chose to look further afield. I went across town and couldn't believe my luck when I came across the fat drunk on his way home. He didn't put up much of a fight and I was able to really do my thing. You might have noticed how his feet were pointing true west. I think that will be my calling card.
1: For the remainder of his composition, the killer provided more specific details on each of the murders that hadn't been made public to that point. He also taunted police that he would never be caught and insinuated that he was indeed a resident of Barnawatha. Whether this was accurate or a red herring remains a mystery. The killer signed off as the Dark Patron of the Great Lodge, another reference to Freemasonry. The police were quickly notified about the three letters and informed each of the newspapers that they would require them for forensic analysis. However, they allowed each of the Yarrawonga Times, Chilton Chronicle and Rutherglen Express to report and reproduce them in their next editions. Keen to pounce on their major scoop, the three arch rivals agreed in a one-off collaborative effort to release a quickly assembled B.O.B. special edition of their publications the following day. It would feature the letters and a chance for one lucky reader to win a limited edition snippet of the actual bloodied cardigan. The investigation was stepped up as the weekend began. The police, aware of the effect the publication of the letters may have, made a visible show of force enjoying such standard procedures as shooting stray cats, and beating anyone looking somewhat charismatic, including Debbie, the popular barmaid at the Barnawatha Royal Mail Hotel. On August 18th, the town's churches were packed unusually full of people who were seeking comfort from a higher level. On Monday morning, 94-year-old Brendan Thompson failed to show up for work at the Barnawatha Gymnasium. The fitness instructor was usually punctual and highly reliable, and it was not long before colleagues and customers began to worry. Police were called, and at about 11.30 a.m. they entered his Lansdale Street house and made an horrific discovery. The bachelor was found dead on his living room floor, He had been stabbed over 2,840 times. His head and arms were severed while his legs had been placed facing due west. Several organs including his heart, liver, schnapel, and kidney had been removed and placed beside him while his intestines had been partially pulled out. To this day police have refused to release the photographs to the public. However, Detective Paul O'Connell is one of the few who has seen the grim photos. Meet. The house was sealed off and the baying media kept at arm's length on the street in front. Fear and panic was manifested in a rock attack on the local Masonic Lodge and intense suspicion across the township. Aside from a pile of Thompson's strewn guts, no physical evidence was found. House-to-house inquiries were conducted and over a million people were interviewed, without conclusive results. On August 20th, a group calling themselves the Barnawatha Revolutionary Guard, began to patrol the streets by night in search of suspicious people. On the night of August 21st, they made a citizen's arrest and severely beat a barmaid from the Royal Mail Hotel. Despite a huge influx to the media of letters purporting to be from the killer, even to the untrained eye, not a single one of them bore any similarity to the original letters. As September grew old, a grudging realisation that the killer may never be caught began to creep over the town and beyond. The Barnawatha Revolutionary Guard disbanded as the fever subsided. The man in charge of the investigation detective inspector tuckwell was replaced in his role by chief inspector swanston porker who himself would be replaced by the end of the year the killer had seemingly vanished the positive to this was the possibility that the killing spree was over the flip side being the police had no leads this meant that whoever was responsible for the monstrous spree had either relocated or was still living among the community as a raconteur in regular citizen's clothing. In mid-November, the results from the official forensic handwriting analysis were released by the police. The findings confirmed that only the three initial letters were genuine. on the subject of the original letters, a profile was presented of a narcissistic psychopath with a penchant for netball, stamp collecting, stagecraft and Hungarian pornography narrowing the suspects down to 90% of the local community. The year 1968 faded into 1969, which then faded into 1970, which then faded into... (laughs) You get the picture. By 1980, the case had gone completely cold, and although it was briefly opened shortly afterward, it had been marked inactive ever since. But now, friends, the case is going to be reopened. That's right. Daley Richardson, along with psychic investigator Kenny Fantasia and soundman Ray Thomas, has decided to reopen the case and conduct a special psychic investigation of the entire series of murders in episode six and final installment of this series. Will the lead suspect be finally identified? Is the killer still alive? Does he still live in Barnawatha? Is he or she, or is she a he? does have to be go the his lurking the killer is it tune in to episode six and you might find out until then sleep well please
2: sleep well